Welcome to a very special social distancing season of Consumed, the podcast about life and flavor across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm Jamie Lewis. Every quarter, I publish 10 conversations I've had with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, but this season is a little different for obvious reasons. To keep things healthy and safe, I'm conducting interviews via Zoom. Thanks for bearing with me in this new, uncharted territory. Before we get started, I have to tell you about a recent conversation I had with my friend, James Onaveros. He's the farmer and owner of Ranchos de Onaveros and Native Nine Wines in the Santa Maria Valley, and I interviewed him in my first season. Anyway, we were talking about COVID and how much it's affecting everything in the hospitality industry, and then I said, yeah, I question whether or not I should even bother doing another season of Consumed right now, given how scary and difficult everything is. James stopped me right there and said, no, Jamie, we need these conversations now more than ever. James is a born storyteller, so I get why he thinks stories matter. But when he said he wanted to sponsor the next season of Consumed, I knew he really meant it. We need stories about our experiences, how we fell in love with food or wine or brewing or baking, and we need it right now, when so many of us have to put our passions on the back burner just to survive. So, I'm letting James and Ranchos de Anaveros help me, and I fully intend to help him. Find his exquisite Pinot Noir and Chardonnay wines at ranchosdeanaveros.com and check out his new restaurant, The Station in Los Alamos, where you can get takeout on the weekends. Find The Station at thestationlosalamos.com. And as always, Consumed is sponsored by the awesome people at Slow Life Magazine. In preparing for their first post-coronavirus issue, I've been so impressed by how resilient they are and how focused they are on the local community. I cover food for Slow Life, so it's been tricky finding a good way to write about restaurants without stressing them out. But the Slow Life editor suggested I write about farm boxes and CSAs, which is a brilliant idea while those services are going bananas with growth. The point is, Slow Life is a source of community and calm right now when we're all separated and anxiety is running maybe a little high. Look for a copy in your mailbox every other month. And if you're not already in the know, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Matt Cross owns the Broad Street Public House in San Luis Obispo, but the bar is a somewhat recent part of his life. Matt grew up in Southern California and went to college to become a pastor and Christian camp director. That career path led him to San Luis Obispo, where he and his wife Jeannie have lived for over 20 years. When pastorship stopped working for him, he moved on to become a full-time musician on nights and weekends and cared for his twin daughters during the day. Ultimately, it was his exposure to and relationship with wineries, breweries, bars, and restaurants that drew him to start his own place, a place for locals to gather that isn't necessarily focused on attracting this college town's student population. Matt is a good friend of mine, so we had to sort of pretend we didn't know one another's story for the sake of the interview and for you listeners, but I think we did okay at it. Listen to Matt talk about how his faith has changed over the years, how food and drink integrate with that, and how his self-perception from childhood impacts the man he is today. Also, don't check out early because Matt has a special musical treat for us at the end that I pretty much sprung on him. Okay, here's Matt Cross. Good morning, friend. Hello. You can hear me. I can hear you. Look at you with your bandana. (laughs) In the man space. Totally. You are. (laughs) You are in the man space. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hanging out? Yeah. You know. Yeah. What's, uh, so what is happening with the pub? Can you walk me through kind of how you found out what yes. changes were going to be made? Yeah. So at first, it, it all went down so fast. Uh, at first, it was like, what are bars going to, you know, on the, like the 15, three days before St. Patrick's Day, every bar is getting ready, ready for their biggest day of the year. And it's like, are we going to close? Are we going to open? Are we going to wait for them to force us to close? And so Monday, the, I forget, I think it was the 16th, the day day before St. Patrick's Day, we decided to close it ourselves just to kind of make the responsible move. Um, Because we realized if, you know, if we were one of those bars that like said, no, we're not going to do it, then we just look like the a-holes. Yes. Uh, We want to look like that. So we decided to close thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be like, you know, two or three weeks or we're going to have to figure out what's going on. And then, um, you know, two weeks go by, we, the, the reality kicks in. So then we're like, gosh. And then when we went into the full month shutdown, we thought we got, we've got beer that's been tapped in kegs. We got to get rid of it. Like we can't just keep, hang on to it. So we sold that off kind of at cost, which is cool. And everyone's like, Oh, you're still going. I'm like, no, but this is just so we don't dump it down the drain. Like, I mean, it, it, basically like, like the beer that you normally pay, you know, seven dollars a pint for where you're selling for like fifty cents, a dollar or fifty cents, literally sixteen ounces, uh, almost less than cost. And um, then it was like get rid of all the food, and then just it was like, okay, we're not. I mean, we've got we've got a little turbo chef oven. We don't have a kitchen, you know, and we, like we can accommodate seven or eight orders in an hour, you know, maybe in an hour. And there's no way that's going to be a to-go situation. And technically we're not a restaurant because it's like 13% of our, or 15% of our, our sales is food. So we just thought it's better to shut everything down yeah. and go into just survival mode, like sh- shut down all our cable, the, you know, internet and everything, just get, get our payments as low as possible. So it got down to we all the people that we were paying because we borrowed all the money to get the bar. We contact, we contacted everybody that lent us money and said, Hey, can we put this on hold? Are you, you know, will you survive that? Like, yeah, you know, we're not asking for any forgiveness on any of it. Just can we wait a couple months on payments? And everyone was really cool about it. You didn't take uh, any bank loans out. It was all private folks. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, the, the, in the hopes of, like this next month we were going to get a small business loan to pay them all back. And then, and cause we're paying them at a better interest rate than we'd get. Like they're, we're paying, we're paying the friends and family that lend us money 10% interest versus like a 6% small business loan. So our hopes was we were going to get the small business loan, pay everybody off, have a lower interest rate and continue is doing as well as we've been doing. Um, but that all got shut down. And now we have to wait till phase three. Like we can't open until social distancing is done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you weren't always a bar owner. This has been a pretty new thing. What were you doing before that? Uh, I've done just about everything on the Central Coast. Uh, I've been a bar musician for 10 years full-time. Um, wineries, bars, restaurants. And before that, Trader Joe's, which was, which was a good, which is, I'm kind of back at now. I'll get back to that. But, uh, and then, yeah, kind of. I was originally came here to be a pastor, as we've spoke before. But uh, I know I'm pretending that I don't know you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I know everything. <laughs> but just let's just pretend that I don't know you at all. Yeah, I came to the Central Coast to be a pastor in 1999. Did that for about five years. Got burnout, um, 
and just didn't know what to do at 29 years old or 30 years old with uh, your degree in uh, Christian ministries. It's kind of hard to break off into other fields of work. Did you want to be a, like an executive pastor, the head of a whole church? No, I like I loved working with kids, and I was and I had a great experience growing up. So I think that's what drew me to that. Uh, I, my degree is uh, Christian Ministries Camp Administration, so I it was to run basically a Christian summer camp originally, and then I, when I realized that, that was pretty much just like being a business manager once you you know once you're no longer a camp counselor. So basically, I wanted to be a camp counselor my whole life. I was trying to find that route, but I could never quite find a way to get paid more than a hundred dollars a week doing that. So it's interesting because actually, where you are right now, it looks like camp. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep my my world like camp. Yeah. Where Uh, did you grow up, Matt? I grew up in Thousand Oaks, Newbury Park, just south of Ventura, just a couple hours away from here. Uh, But spent some time up in Northern California uh, at at Wolf Mountain Camp. Then went to George Fox University in Oregon, and then went back to that camp and met Jeannie, my wife. uh, She was a camp counselor, and I was training staff taking advantage of the college women that were coming in to work for the summer and then, uh, stuck. So, yeah. yeah so Jean, I've been here for uh, over 20, married for 20 years this summer, been here since 99. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the, I just have always loved pubs when I was in college. I wasn't necessarily like, a, uh, wasn't for like the drinking aspect of it, but just kind of the social aspect of it and love craft beer and, uh, the more I play music in San Luis Obispo, the more I realize there just isn't a place that's not targeted for college kids. That's that's not just a go get hammered kind of bar. Uh, I wanted to create a pub, like a true place where people can hang out and you didn't have to drink and a and, uh, uh, place to come together and meet people in the community. And, and that slowly is what Broad Street has become um, with trivia and stuff that we have there uh, and, and lots of regulars and and. Uh, the sad thing now, I feel like a lot of people are like, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Um, people that you know came once or twice in the last two years, like we can't wait for you to reopen. Oh my gosh, we missed the pub. I'm like, oh let's, yeah, maybe you'll come more often when we reopen. But I think we, when it's there, you're like, oh, I can go next Friday or I'll go next Wednesday. It's like go. that. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, I'm not going anywhere anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Unfortunately, our uh, landlord has not. Uh, I mean, he's basically said, you know, you can just pay me later for the rent you're not paying now, which isn't really a help, just adding debt to our debt. So we're not sure. We can probably survive uh, till August or September coming out of pocket for uh, stuff uh, if social uh, social distancing ends. If not, we'll have to close the doors and sell off the inventory. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you, you know, it's nothing you did, you, you know, we didn't do any, we didn't make any bad business decisions. We didn't, you just were told you have to shut your doors and you can't reopen again. I think that's a reality for a lot of people. What's it been like at home? I mean, how do you, it's been now two months. I mean, what is, what does it feel like today versus even six weeks ago? Uh, every day seems the same. <laughs> I had to put up like four alarms on my phone about this today. Cause I've already flaked on like four people. Cause I'm like, Oh wait, today's Thursday. Like, Oh, I, I didn't know. I just knew it was tea time. I was drinking coffee. Like, okay, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I luckily I've been blessed to kind of do what I want for the past 10 years, which is raise my daughters and play music, uh, in the evenings. Um, and actually 
for me, I mean, I, Trader Joe's, I hit up Trader Joe's because I was just like looking to play someplace. And uh, I said, hey, I'll come busk in, front, in the front for your line for free. And they're like, no, we'll pay you. I was like, sick. And so I went and did it one day and everyone dug it. So they're like, can you come three days a week? So they've been paying me three days a week to come out and play for the people in line. Uh, and everyone's been awesome with tips because, you know, they're stoked. They get, they get some live music while they're waiting at Trader Joe's. So it's kind of a you know win-win for everybody. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing it uh, today from 2 to 4, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 2 to 4. I've been doing it, and uh, that's been great. Oh, that's so awesome. And it, I'm sure you see everyone. Yeah. The cool thing is to go on Instagram afterwards and, like, you know, 15 different people's stories of, like, different angles of me playing music in front of, hey, it's not my concentrator, Joe, it's not my concentrator. So that's been cool. I mean, that's a great, I mean, just for my music career, because that reminds people, you know, I think a lot of people knew me or met me uh, from playing music, and then they get to know me, and we're friends, and then they're like, oh, yeah, Matt plays music. Like, it, it, people forget about it. And like, oh, that's why I, I met him originally, or that's why he played my wedding. Um, so it's a good reminder. And then, you know, restaurant owners and stuff that are com- coming through uh, are like, oh, man, when we reopen, we'd love to have you back. We'd love to book you. So it's a good resurgence for my uh, my music career. Yeah. What were you like as a kid? Oh, what was I like as a kid? That's a great question. Well, because uh, everybody's perception of themselves as a kid, yeah. I think it says a lot. Right. Um, what was I like? I, I was actually, I wasn't uh, the extrovert I am today. I was I was I was really big. I got really big really fast. So a lot of people thought I was uh, mentally challenged because I was a huge kid. And they're like, you know, why isn't he, you know, speaking like that? My mom was like, because he's three. You know, he's he's he's, he's not <laughs> he's three years old. And so yeah, so it'd be like, oh, poor Matt, you know. Um, and because I grew so fast, I, I couldn't. It was you know, it's just like I was always chubby, just because it was just like you're just getting mass all the time. Um, so, you know, getting, getting made fun of a little bit as a little kid, I kind of kept a little bit more, more quiet, but not picked on too bad because I was always the biggest kid. So kids would take, you know, tease me, but it's like, you know, poking a beard. Like, I don't want to get this guy too tweaked at me. Uh, didn't have a ton of self-confidence, you know, uh, elementary school. And then like seventh grade was probably my worst year of just like everything coming together. And then I think eighth grade is when I started to get a little bit, started to build some confidence and uh, exercising, working out. And then I had another big growth spurt right before high school. So I came, I came in my freshman year, 6'2", 215 pounds and, you know, pretty, pretty close to the size I am right now. I mean, I'm a lot heavier now being the, the dad of, uh, you know, quarantine, but, um, yeah. So all of a sudden I was like the size of senior football players. So it was like, there was no more teasing. It was respect. And that's started gaining my confidence. And, uh, I played, started playing guitar in junior high and then realized that girls dug it when you played songs that they knew. So that was kind of my passion from that day forward. Yeah. It's interesting that the first thing you say when I, when I ask, you know, what were you like as a kid is something related to your body. I, I was a, not a chubby kid, but seventh grade. I mean, I will show you a picture sometime. I was a big girl and something about that age too. I think, I, I think in my mind, I am frozen in seventh grade. I'm underconfident. Um, I mean, at least, you know, this is all in my head. This is when I let my head take over. But I am that same kid who kind of sits outside of social circles and doesn't fit in. And also, I think like you, we share, um, we have different interests than a lot of people. Right, exactly. 
And so it's hard not to feel like an outsider, um, but you know, adulthood has been so much better than that. Oh my gosh, I totally agree. When people think about like the, the good old days, I'm like, there was no good old days. These are the days right here, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny you different interests because it's like in, in our group of friends, uh, it, it, I crack up every time because inevitably, I mean, I love all the husbands and, and men in our, in our group of friends we get along great but inevitably it's i look at the end it's i'm hanging out with all the wives talking and you know it's like every time because i feel like i'm like oh no sports mountain biking no not no no you know i'm like they're surfing no but i'm not a surfer either so it's just yeah it's funny that happens a lot well and for the record we women love when you're there so <laughs> you are very much invited uh, what are you open to talking about your faith? Absolutely. So when did you decide, I mean, did you have like a, oh, I was going to say a come to Jesus moment in metaphor, but, but I suppose it's real. Did you have a come to Jesus moment? Well, when I, in entering my faith or leaving it? In entering it. I mean, did you grow up in a Christian household? household. Parents very much involved in the church and my parents were always volunteering with the youth groups. It was always small. It was always like water ski trips and youth group nights. And it was just like, dude, this is, this is like the best ever. Like it's always just go do fun things with friends. And then they talk about God at the end and Hey, God loves you. And you want to go to heaven forever. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great too. Um, so it was just always that, uh, it was always part of my life. Um, and then I was heavily involved in my youth group growing up, which drew from a bunch of different high schools. Uh, so it was a huge, it was like, you know, Wednesday night you go, cause there's 250 kids from four different high schools. So you can meet all these different people and, and you know, you listen or didn't listen. That wasn't really, you know, mainly you were getting together for the social, a safe place to socially interact. Um, and I think that's what, that's what drew me in. And that's kind of what then, then moving on to going to camp and being a camp counselor and you have these emotional highs and I, Doug doing that. And I, and I love working with high school kids too. And I, and I had a, I had a good couple years, um, at Mountain Brook, uh, 99 to 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I kind of drew the, like, the kids that were rejected from other groups who were kind of the outcasts and, and, uh, and just pre- create a positive environment. And then just the more I got into organized religion and I just, there was just more and more things I was disagreeing with and, and butting up against the senior leadership. And finally it was just like, what, what, what am I trying to do? Like I'm trying to change something that they don't think is broken. So maybe I'm the one, you know, I'm the part that shouldn't, shouldn't be here. Mm. And that's kind of what happened. I just kind of was like, you know what? I just don't think I'm on board with what is going on anymore. And, and uh, so left. And then it was kind of a decline after that. We had a home church for a while, which was just, you know, a bunch of couples meeting, meeting together on Sunday mornings. And then, you know, I was just the more I was just like I'm not sure if I if I believe I believe there's truth in the Bible, but I don't know if I believe it's inherently every word is true, and and I don't really know that something that was written thousands of years ago is supposed to be applied in sections to everything that happens in today's life. And uh, I was just arguing it's so much fun. I was just like I'm I'm out. Like <laughs> I don't need to argue anymore. If it works for somebody else, who am I to say it's not true or it's not you know or the Bible's not inherently true? I didn't care. I didn't need to have an answer anymore. I didn't need to try and prove myself right or prove somebody else wrong. I was just and that took a long time because I was just negative about it for a long time. Yeah. And until I just realized you know I don't need to try and prove any religion wrong or prove that I'm right. Like I just don't. I'm at peace not knowing or not having to know, I guess. Yeah. And what, what did it give you? I always am curious about 
You know, somebody who moves away from anything, I mean, aside from religion, even like, okay, somebody does the paleo diet and then they decide they don't like it anymore. It doesn't work for them. Well, what did it give you? You know, everything gives you something. Um, And we talk a lot about that right now with quarantine. I don't want to cover over the pain and suffering that so many are feeling, but it's, that's been a discussion of what has it given you? And so I'm thinking about your faith. What yeah. did it give you? Uh, appreciation for like, well, just uh, being a lifelong learner, I think is the biggest thing I took away from it because, you know, a lot of people, most people have a faith because they are grew up in it. You know, there, 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 there are those people that, that convert for whatever reasons in their life, or you were just born into it. You know, but, you know, if, if you're, a Hasidic Jew in New York, you probably were born into it. You didn't convert over to it and grow your, you know, sideburns out. Um, so in, grow, in growing up in it, I was, I'm, I'm just kind of, it's interesting that I've come out of it because the rest of my family is still, you know, I wouldn't say heavily involved, but involved in, we would say they still have a faith. I think I'm the first person to like step out of it. Um, but yeah, definitely a love, a pursuit of truth. Um, and, and people just realizing that uh, people coming together in love is like the essence of life. You know, like if you, I mean, in any situation people are into like going to see a concert or having a knitting group or whatever that your thing is, or a book club, you know, it's time to come together with other people and have a relationship and realizing that that's just the essence of life is having a relationship with other people. And that has been amplified so much during this quarantine because everyone's been robbed of that. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you, you forget how much, even if you're not, even if you're an introvert, there's not either, there's at least a person you connect with, you know, that it doesn't mean it's not a a group of people, but there's somebody you get together with that, that you share life with um, and how important that is. And I think that's what I took away from, you know, love and relationship and truth. Like the essence of all religion is, is true that, you know, we, we, we desire love acceptance to build other people up to be kind, you know, I think that's what I have taken out of it. Yeah. And how does, how does food, I know food matters a lot to you and you're an ace cook, um, but, but food and drink, how does that factor in? Uh, that's a reason to come together. You know, when and you, when you come together and you enjoy good conversation, you know, good food and then food made with love when someone's really, you know, you know, when your friends have slaved over the kitchen and made something, you're like, wow, you put, you put, like a day into this like that because you wanted me to experience something good like that i love that and that, that to me like like the chefs a lot of time are the rock stars because you know i don't get i could follow a recipe and i can follow you know and i'm starting to learn a little bit to kind of branch out on my own but to like just have skills and be like i'm gonna create a dish and it's gonna be this and this and i'm gonna put this in it because i know acid works with this and fats and you're gonna think it's amazing and like that blows me my mind that you could just come up with something yeah and where does that love of cooking and, and flavor come from? Did you, did your parents cook? No. And I was, my, my mom, my mom did a great job. My mom was, uh, she was like a home ec te- or she was an art teacher and she did some home ec classes and stuff. And, and she did a lot of creative stuff with the, you know, refried beans and Velveeta cheese. And, you know, she, she, I have she, that too. She did some. She did great. My mom was amazing, and she made good tasting food. Not necessarily the healthiest food for you, but you know it tasted good. Um, and but I, as a kid, I was super picky. I didn't eat a ton of stuff. I didn't try new things. I didn't try new flavors. Um, and but then when I was in college, 
uh, right before, like after my first year of college, I lived at this camp. I lived out on 600 acres by myself. Um, with, and then there was like two other people in like cabins that were on the 600 acres, but we were really friends. And they were like, oh, you're an intern at the camp, you know, uh, what does that mean? We don't know, but we'll, we'll see you in a month, you know, and you're like, hmm, what do I do, you know? So having to learn how to like make pancakes and, you know, how do you bake a potato and, and uh, learning just some basic, basic stuff and then going off to college and living on my own and realizing like, dude, people are impressed if you can make them food. Like that, that that's the thing. And I think like we were talking before from the, you know, bad junior high experience, uh, I just, I I think that just even no matter what I needed affirmation because I wasn't affirmed. So it was like, and I think that it goes on with me being an entertainer. Like I love people telling me that I'm good at what I do, you know, or, Oh, that's amazing music. That's great food. Like I live off that fishing for compliments. I'm all about it. <laughs> people mock it, but I'm like, no, like, like I tell my wife, I'm like, no, you need to tell me if I look good. Like, are you, are you, you know, you look handsome. I'm like that means a lot to me. Cause I, I have a low self esteem and I'm constantly looking to fill myself up again. Uh, I'm sure that I can get a, Good for you for admitting that. I mean, I, I, I have, there's a part of me that's like that too. And I don't know if you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I don't know if you know, we've known each other for years and I was a Christian musician. Um, yeah. And I, I wrote my own songs and, um, I did a couple of, you know, in church concerts, um, and then I, it was sort of a sideways thing, but I went into um, Christian music competition and I won the regional songwriting and performance. Oh, it's so funny. As I'm talking about this, I'm like pulling at my ring. I feel like all of a sudden I'm like ag- <laughs> agitated. Um, I played uh, in Nashville and I won that. And then I played for the international and I won that. And that was in 2000. Two. Same year I got married, so it was a big year for me. Um, wow. And uh, I'm sorry, I'll just keep this short, but um, that so that was the year I got married, and we went to, Jake and I went to a show that a couple of record labels were, I, I feel self-conscious saying this, but they were fighting over me, which was crazy. Right. Um, and they sent us to a show to see a Christian musician play in San Jose because I was living in San Francisco at the time. And we got to meet her afterward. And uh, we got in the truck to drive home. And Jake said, how do you feel about this? And I said, it's not me. It's just, mm. not, it's just not me. And so, you know, fast forward several years, I, I still play the piano all the time. And I love, we have a piano in our home. My kids play, we hear it all the time. Um, so I feel like there's a good legacy there, but I was looking over some old song lyrics recently and I have struggled with it all this whole time. I always thought of my lyrics as like really sure and certain and looking back, I've always questioned always. Um, so it's been cool to know that like the me of me, the, the essence and the core of me has remained the same really. Um, Yeah. I can't remember how we got into that. I'm sorry. Oh, but, oh, compliments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, have you ever done the Enneagram? Uh, no, my wife's super into it. I would, I would put money that you're a three. I'm a three. I'll ask her. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, compliments. Yeah. And affirmation. I hear you. 
Yeah, totally. And, you know, and who doesn't like, I mean, everyone likes to hear praise from themselves, you know, they, they want to know that they're good at what they do or they're doing well. Uh, and, you know, but also learning to take it with a grain of salt to you. Cause like I tell, I tell people like one in 20 people think I'm like the most amazing singer, guitar player they've ever, you know, like, you should be famous. I'm like, that's sweet of you. And you're drunk and you're having a good night tonight. Like, I, that's amazing. You should have albums. I'm like, I don't, I just play bars. Thanks for coming. You know, um, they, yeah, I've had different offers. You know, you should come play in Vegas. I'll get you, I'll set you up and you'll make like eight grand a week. I'm like, all right. I'll give you half. Like, let me know when I start. Like, no, you, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, oh no, you're seriously going to make my career. This is going to be amazing. Um, but it's been awesome. I, I got into the one thing I did get, I got, uh, I had people come and film me for uh, the voice. You did? When I was playing at Pappy McGregor's up in Paso, I had a the executive director, or executive producer come out with some people and they filmed me doing a couple songs and then they interviewed me afterwards. Uh, and I got a, like I got the email from NBC and the thing, but I just they, I didn't have a sob story that they wanted. Yeah. I think they they wanted uh, which I'm like because they're like you know what would this mean to your career? I'm like my life's pretty awesome, and I just do cover songs at bars. They're like, but you know this could be your chance. And you'll get. I'm like, don't get me wrong, love to be on TV, <laughs> love to go meet Adam. Love, I would love you know I would eat it up. I'd get some great coaching. Um, but I don't care if I win or I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Like I, I live in the, the most amazing town, I think anywhere. And I have a family and I have a home and they're like, okay, they kind of try to coach me through it. Like, okay, but you know, here, and I'm like, listen, I'm, it's not going to get sadder than that. I don't know what to tell you. And they're like, oh, we kind of, so then the email was like, we, we kind of have everybody we need filled up for this season. Well, maybe we'll contact you in the future. I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure you will. <laughs> oh, yeah. My name's on file. I'm sure. Yeah, you're like uh, grizzly, <laughs> grizzly dad. Uh, what, what, what do you have? The rock voice? Yeah, we'll plug, we'll plug him in. Um, so that was cool. That that was cool that that got to experience that and uh, some affirmation. Um, what songs did you play? I did Rocket Man, Elton John, Rotten Rocket Man. Awesome. And I think I did uh, Simple Man, Leonard Skinner, I, oh. the man. Yeah. Rocket Man, Simple Man. Uh, yeah, so that was cool. And it's just been, it's been fun because I've played just about everywhere. I think every venue on the Central Coast, besides like Vina, Vina Robles, or I mean, I played Vina Robles outside. <laughs> not the, not the uh, amphitheater. Yeah, but I think I've played almost every other venue. Um, I, I hadn't played Congress in the Plaza, but then. Uh, uh, Quester Ridge was playing and they had me come up to sing a song. I was like, yes, check that list. You know? That is awesome. That's so awesome. Do you, what, what was the first time you ever had a beer? Do you remember? Uh, yes, it was at my friend's garage. I think I was like 11 years old and I had a Miller Genuine Draft and we stole it at his dad's beer fridge. MGD. I'm like, this is disgusting. <laughs> Even then you thought it was disgusting? Ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then I, even in college, uh, I didn't like beer. For, like, I remember my roommate bringing home like some kind of uh, porter. And, At George uh, Fox? Yeah, yeah, because we, we, we broke, we, like, I had to go to a Christian conservative Christian college because we broke every rule known to the school. If I would have gone like to Cal Poly, I don't know I would have made it through college. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or any college that wasn't strict Christian rules, you were bound to a lifestyle contract. I remember taking the, drinking the porter and I was like, oh, he's like, oh, if you don't like beer, you just got to try harder. Just keep trying. I'm like, okay. 
I think that's true, actually. Like a year and a half later, I'm like, oh, I, can't. I, mean, I remember like the day when we had it, I'm like, I like this taste. It was like, it was like something went off in my head. And I'm like, I'm not forcing myself to drink this to get a buzz on Friday night. I actually enjoy drinking this. And, and then being up in Portland, you know, then it was like, it was kind of when it was taking off really like 96, 97. Mm-hmm. Micro, you know, you're just starting to hear about microbrews and, and then moved here to San Luis in 99. And it was like, Oh my gosh, there's, they have, they have their own brewery, you know, slow brew. That's great. And, and, and Firestone was just getting started. Uh, but that, that, that there was two breweries like within a 50 mile radius was huge. And now we've got, you know, what seven or eight in town, you know, yeah. uh, it's been cool to see craft beer grow and get, and get better and better and better and ch- switch and change. And I did, I did, I used to try like all beers and I feel like I've been like an IPA guy for a few years now. Yeah. Just kind of- did you ever, did, so you didn't come to it through wine. I know a lot of people, maybe I'm projecting, I came to beer through wine, but I know a lot of people around here do, but that's not how you did. No, I was like two buck Chuck back in the day. Like I used to, in college, we used to get Carlo Rossi, you know, you know Carlo Rossi. Of course, the jug. We'd make like a thing of spaghetti and like tip the jug. And we would, uh, the only wine you could, the red wine you could see through the entire bottle, you know. That's true. That's very really true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I don't. I'm trying to think of when I got in. You know, I think living here, doing wine tasting a couple of times, I, I started to slowly get into it. And then I was already into beer. And then once I started playing music, then uh, I think. Music really got me into food, wine, and beer because everywhere I played, I got a tab. So it was yeah. like, oh, I'll try that one that's normally eighteen dollars a glass that you're going to give to me for free, you know, or you know, and go. And that's actually how I started to appreciate some spirits too. Like everyone has like Jose Cuervo, you know, when they're growing up, and you throw up, and you're like, that's disgusting. So I was like, I hate tequila, I hate you know hard alcohol. And then uh, I was actually at uh, Ventana Grill when it first opened. It was I played Fourth of July. And afterwards, all the Fourth of July crowd was emptying out of Pismo Beach, and the cops just said, "You, you can't leave. We're not going to stop traffic to let you and like four other people out of this parking lot." It was me, the owner, one of the owners of, of Ventana, and a couple servers. And they're like, "You know, you're, you're just going to have to hit wait." And so, we're, so we, they took he took us back inside, and he's like, "Well, we might as well wait inside." So we start we start trying tequilas there, and he's pouring me these tequilas. I'm like, "This is this is incredible. What's this tequila? It's called Glace Azul." I'm like, "Man, this is great." So the next time I go play. I just start ordering them while I'm playing them. Or I'm ordering them for other people. I'll put it on my tab, put it on my tab. And I go, <laughs> go to, in the night, like, well, we owe you $250 for music, but you owe us $380 for tequila. <laughs> Your popularity came and bit you. We're going to go ahead and cut him off. Uh, from. She's like, we'll just call it even for tonight. Um, yeah, so I think through that, I've gotten to experience meet winemakers, which has been cool. Um, well, plus all the venues around here. I mean... You're going to get to know all the wineries. You're going to get to know all of the drinks yeah. at the wineries. I mean, you get to meet the, the winemakers and like, like you get to do as well a lot. Meet the people that are making it and hear their story in the background and meet the people that, you know, I had a podcast for about a year, Slow and Easy. Right. Yeah. And we did. At that time, I met a lot of people uh, like Brian um, from Ribline, uh, Brian from Ember. He was just, Ember was just starting when we, when we did a podcast with him. And hearing like the, the, his whole like cooking journey and where he came from, um, uh, Neil Smith from Windows on the Water, uh, he was kind of like a punk rock chef. Like he, did, he didn't go to culinary school. He like he was like a dishwasher at a Chinese restaurant and then became like a, a sous chef and 
brought him up and and then he's bounced around and then he they, he brought they brought him into windows on the water where he's really kind of uh perfected his, his craft uh so that was cool to meet people in that respect because i was just interviewing people you know at the time we'd be like you know 50 people listen to our podcast like we're, we're going through the roof you know? i know that feeling <laughs> uh i think that was at our height you know when we actually had someone email us and like ask us a question we're like someone someone was listening and they like, they wrote an email to us and asked us about it um and like i met trevor who started slow, slow safe rides right when i was getting started he was moving out of being a bartender forever and, uh so many cool stories in our town but yeah me- meeting the people behind the the wine the beer the music you know mm-hmm. uh, it's been fun that's where the good stuff is. I mean, I was talking to somebody else for the podcast yesterday who was discussing, well, she's the head of um, food services for San Luis Coastal School District. Such a good conversation. Um, and she was talking about the feelings around food rather than the food itself. And that means a lot to her with kids. Um, in school because the way they feel about what they eat at school a lot of them that's it that's what they get so it's important to her that the feelings around the food are positive that's cool it is cool um why you've talked about how special san Luis is you didn't grow up here you didn't go to cal poly why did you wind up here yeah pastor i i uh i genie grew up my wife genie grew up in cabria and so when we would come back uh to visit, like her home church was at uh, Cambria Vineyard with Bobby Gorancelotti. And uh, we we had friends in college that were going to, to San Luis. Then it was the San Luis Vineyard, then became Mountain Brook. And I, I showed up one Sunday and they're like, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're on our, our hunt for our youth pastor is almost done. And we have, we're having interviews. And I'm like, dude, that's one of my reasons. Like, I'll be your youth pastor, you know. And so I went up and interviewed, or I told them I want to interview, and they're like, listen, like, you're the 50th person to apply for this job. Like, people want to work here. Like, it's great. Thanks for your interest, but, you know, you don't go to this church. You're not part of, you're not in this area. And uh, I, I had just some local references of people that they knew and respected that talked me up. And and then I went in an interview, and I was pretty dynamic in my, <laughs> in my speaking there. Uh, so, yeah, became the youth pastor, and then it was just kind of like, okay, we're here. And then that was a, I thought that's I'm gonna do this forever, and I, this is gonna be the longest job I ever have. And four and a half years later, I was done. Um, Certainty but, uh, is so funny that way. Yeah. But I, 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 mean, I love California because I grew up in Southern California, but it was getting too busy for me, and just had, like the having the beach, and then like it, the, I felt like the uh, food scene and beer scene and wine scene was elevated, and I dug that, and I mean that's more my artistic, artistic creative bent than. Uh, sports and activities, um, even though my, my, my body's people, I mean, people assume I'm an ex football player from college or whatever, but, uh, yeah. And I, and I, I think it, it just stuck and it's home. Like I, I can, I, I would never leave. Same. I, if I, I never, if I can help it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, I would have to li- like, yeah, lose my house in a bad bed or something, you know, I would, I would, I would probably wouldn't even switch houses. Cause I'm like, we've, we've created the, we've like remodeled our house and put so much time and effort and energy into it. I hope to give it to my girls someday. Mm. What's it been like moving from a job that, uh, you know, being a freelance musician is pretty different from owning a business based on um, alcohol sales. What's that been like, that transition? Um, well, it's, I don't know if, if it's, it's not the same experience as someone starting a business that they're going to like make their money off of. Like, you know, uh, someone has passion and they take this loan and they want to start a restaurant to like provide to, to provide for themselves. Um, 
because of my wife and my music income, the bar could fail and it doesn't, it's not going to affect me. I mean, if I lose the bar in the quarantine, I'll be sad, but I won't be unhappy. Like I'm happy. I'm happy with my family. I'm happy with my friends. I'm happy with my other career. Um, the bar has been like the, you know, jewel, the top of the crown, like, Oh my gosh, I got to start a pub that I've always wanted. And it's starting to pay for itself. And I'm providing jobs for other people. Currently, all this happened, the pub has given me is I've lost three thousand dollars of my own personal money. But you know, I, I and I, people are like, "Well, you get free beer." I'm like, "Nope, I pay for beer. Like, I pay, I pay, I give myself a discount that I give my employees. But like, no, nothing free is coming out of the out of the bar for me. Um, it, but it's been it's been fun. Like, yeah, like we were saying, basically ten years ago, I got to retire, you know, and play music full time. And any day I can play is I should be punched in the face because I get to do my, especially when my girls started going to school, my girls go to school. I do my, my honeydew list for Jeannie and I can do practice guitar. I can go on a bike ride. I can do whatever I want to do. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And then being able to open a bar, uh, and create a place for people to hang out has been awesome. And, and it's luckily it's small enough that it's not a huge risk. Uh, there's not, there's not a huge operating budget, not a ton of money is going to, you know, and even if it's really succeeding, it'll make me a little bit of money, but it, I'm, you know, it's not, it's, it'll be a little supplement to the income. But for, for me, it was more like being into getting into the industry that I've already kind of been paralleling with music. Now it's like, wow, now I get to go to like the food shows and I get to go to the, the distributor shows and I, the, you know, winery winemakers are coming to me saying, Hey, can you try my wine? Cause I want you to carry it. And I was like, uh, okay. Like that's been the awesome, you know, uh, yeah, I'll just set up a tasting Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, and brewers coming into the area and going, Oh, you own broad state. Like we'd love to meet with you and try our beers. And I'm like, that's the best part for me. Cause get to talk to people about the beers they're making, find out about them. And I don't, I'm not, I don't have to kiss their butt. Like I can, I can be honest and be like, just let me tell you what I think about your, your beer, your wine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I've met some really good ones and I've met some poor ones and I've, I've made some calls of like breweries that I knew weren't going to make it or we're going to, you know, go down and not that I find joy in that, but it's, but it's no, nice to know that your, your palate, your, your right. Like, I could taste this and go, this isn't going to be a beer that's going to appeal to the masses. I don't, you're selling it well. I don't think you're handling it well. It's not going to happen. But then there's people I do meet that are passionate about it that I like, you know, like Kilo Kilo out of uh, Paso Robles. Steve's a great beer maker, and I didn't know anything about him. And, you know, he, I, I went up there on a reference and was like, oh, you should go try their beers. Um, then they came down and came, fell in love with our pub. And he's like, dude, I'll, you can be the only one to sell Kilo Kilo in San Luis. I won't sell my beer to anybody else. Wow. Like, on tap because I dig what you're doing and your vibe and and you like and you, you appreciate beer and so that was a cool you know luckily unfortunately that relationship started about a month and a half before this whole thing oh, came. Man. Uh, but, but it was cool because I, I went up last week and just bought a case of beer from him just because I'm like hey you know it's what I help out um, what's their I mean, specialty up there he does a lot of like hazy IPAs okay. it's funny I can right here they just did their first canning <laughs> I promise it's not a commercial but it's this is a milk shaka it's a tangerine mm-hmm. milkshake Wow, it, tangerine milkshake. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it, there's nothing like it. Uh, they do, he does this one uh, Hawaiian punch, and it tastes exactly like it's a beer that tastes like Hawaiian punch, like the original Hawaiian punch. Uh, but then he does great straight up IPAs. Uh, he does. I'm not a sour person, but and he keeps telling me I got to try this this kettle sour that he does. Uh, and I'm like, I'll try it for you. But I I mean, sour is just every time someone says, I know you're not in this sour, but you should try this one. I'm like, still don't like it. Um, yeah, same. Uh, I'm still waiting for that one that I'm going to like. 
exactly. Uh, also, the other uh, really cool couple I met was um, the Fields, Wild Fields Brewing in Atascadero. Yeah. Uh, Jackie, and I just forgot her husband's name. I apologize. Uh, but I was supposed to play a brewer's dinner like on March 20th, and I was supposed to play music at it. And she hit me up and said, I know you were supposed to play music. And she's like, would you be down to just uh, streaming on, on our Instagram and doing a show? And we'll bring you a banner and we'll bring you a case of beer. I'm like, uh, oh, okay. so I'm going to play guitar in my garage. You're going to bring me a case of beer? I'm in. Um, and they dug that. And we, I, we did it again. We did a Grateful Dead night. And they brought me another case of beer. I'm like, let's just keep this going. Isn't that uh, great? Yeah. They're, they're, they're really, really cool people. And then just on my Instagram, you know, people are making comments. You know, I'm getting to know them just from and we had some mutual friends and like, we have to hang out when this is all over and we could like have friends again. And uh, I'll, I'll, I will definitely take another brewer as a, as a close friend. Um, but I, I, I judged them too. I thought wild fields I, for, in my head. I thought they only did sours as well. Yeah. He, he came from, he was originally from uh, pizza port. And then he, there was another brewery that I guess is famous for sours. I can't remember the name cause I obviously don't follow sours, but he is. So he, I guess he does some really good sours too, but some incredible, just stri- all different style, styles of beer um, out of there. And then, I mean, it's everywhere. There does not exist. I think, did you do an interview with him? I did, and he's great. And his beer, Matt, you introduced me to his beer. That day, you handed it to me, and I was like, wow, I don't, I actually don't really drink IPAs anymore, but you gave me that hazy IPA of his, and I thought, well, this is quality. You know, when you you can just taste quality, and so I invited him, and he's lovely. Yeah, we've had a few emails. We haven't gotten a chat yet, but... I love stuff like that. And he, I, uh, I, I dig what Max is doing because of, uh, just his own style. Like he just came in, like he didn't care. Like, it, it's it, it, and he just, I started making beer and the reputation builds it instead of somebody, I won't name names, but other people coming in and like blowing up the town with their beer. And they're like, what's well, no good. Well, if you, if we put it out there enough, maybe people will just start drinking it because they just, that's all they see. I don't, I'm not digging, but, and then li- liquid gravity right now, I think like the, the, the beer uh, scene in San Luis is, is going off. It's pretty fun. That is um, fun. There's lots of cool stuff out there. I, I am putting you on the spot, and this is not fair at all. But, <laughs> but do you have a tuned guitar anywhere nearby? Uh, I could. Play me something. Oh, just something? Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to play you a song. Can you hear me? Yes. This is, uh, this is from um, a movie with Bradley Cooper and, and uh, Gaga. Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Got that? Uh, this song, the lyrics of it hit me really hard. Lyrics don't really phase me. I'm more of like a, the hook of the music, and I don't care what the song says. But this one, I listen to it, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So, It's time to let the old ways die Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Takes a lot to change a man Hell, it takes a lot to try Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Nobody knows what waits for the dead Nobody knows what waits for the dead some folks just believe in things they heard and things they read. Nobody knows what waits for the dead. 
Glad I can go back to where I came from. Glad those days are gone and gone for good. If I could take the spirits from my past and bring them here, you know I would. You know I would. Nobody speaks to God these days. Nobody speaks to God these days. I think he's looking down and laughing at always. Nobody speaks to God these days. When I was a child, they tried to fool me. Said the worldly man was lost and the hell was real. But I've seen hell in Reno and I know this world's just one on the big old wheel. Spinning still. Maybe it's time to let me always die. Maybe it's time to let me always die. Takes a lot to change your plans and a train to change your mind. Maybe it's time to let me always die. Maybe it's time to let me always die. Woohoo! Thank you. I know that's so cruel, but you I knew you could do it. <laughs> no, that I dig that song a lot. It's kind of it's very uh, fitting to my life, which is what I heard when I heard it. I was like, "That's weird," but yeah. And yeah, and he did a great job with that. I thought he was great in that movie too. Yes. Um, last question: If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you eat today? Wow, that's so it's such a heavy question. Uh, if I was going to die tomorrow. Gosh. Uh, okay, I'd set up three meals in a row. Do it. Per- um, I would. I would go. Uh, I would go to Ember, uh, Spoon Trade, and Farmhouse. And I would just tell the chefs to like, hey, I'm dying tomorrow. Knock me out with a meal right now. And they would deliver. Exactly. It would be, it'd be incredible. And I'd have to die. I would put on like 30 pounds, I think, just from this. You know. <laughs> it would kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty epic. It would be. Matt, I love you. You're a good friend and you're a good man. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening to Consumed, as always. I'm so glad you joined me. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. If you want to get all kinds of tidbits like recipes, updates on guests, and new seasons, join the Consumed mailing list at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at J-A-I-M-E-C-L-E-W-I-S. Until next season, wear your mask, wash your hands, cook dinner, Send letters to your loved ones, support your local purveyors, and make a budget for takeout. Every little bit helps. Take care, everyone.